This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Tim Mallet is about to make a phone call. I am extremely nervous. He's played it out in his head for many years. I have so many questions for him. But you may have more information than he does. That's what I'm afraid of. I, I'm, I'm a little afraid this might be like uh, Al Capone's vault when Geraldo opened it and it was empty. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch. This is the second episode of our story, The Hidden Letters. If you haven't heard part one, I suggest listening to that one first. Thirty years ago, Tim worked at a retirement community in Detroit. After the death of one of the residents, Helen Seba, Tim purchased her old desk. It turned out to be a treasure chest of hidden letters detailing her family's tragic World War II history. You feel a connection to these people. I feel a deep connection. And a responsibility few of us would have chosen to find Helen's family. I started doing a little research, um, and it, it really wasn't until recently that I discovered that there were relatives and there had been a name change. And the name change was actually the key to unfolding this whole mystery. So if you can imagine, you know, nearly 30 years of trying to figure out who people are, you find a name, you go online, and in 10 minutes it's solved. It's amazing that the answer is just right there and, you know, you didn't know it. Uh, my name is Frank Patrick Pringham. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. He's Helen's grandson. Prior to calling Frank, Tim emailed him. Well, when he first contacted me, uh, I was very apprehensive. This was a stranger telling me that he's got some letters from my grandmother. And I'm going, okay, what's, what's the ransom for those? Tim convinced him this was no scam. And so the more he kind of proved that he was legit in a sense, because he did, he did quote some stuff uh, from the letters, and I knew a few things about my grandmother from the letters, I, I went ahead and uh, we struck up a, a, an initial uh, phone call. Frank, this is Tim Mallard calling. I'm, I'm sure my email, you, you were probably scratching your head, who, who is this guy? <laughs> Tim had seen on Frank's Facebook page a photo from 1954. It shows five-year-old Frank on a ship with his family. He's emigrating from England to the USA, as his grandmother Helen Seba did a few years later. She had settled in England after fleeing Germany in 1938. Frank knows nothing about the World War II history of Helen and her brother, Willie Weiss. The odds against your family history ever coming to light were really steep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was uh, a big empty hole on that side of the family. It, it, his grandmother, Helen, never spoke to him about Germany. Neither did his mother, Hilda, though she was about 18 when she left Germany. And on the other side of the equation, I didn't ask. You know, and that, and that one of my big regrets is not finding out more about both sides of the family, quite honestly. But Tim has given you a chance to find out some things. Yes, he has. He kind of told me over the phone what happened, and then, and then he sent me the translated letters, and I could read it all for myself. The letters talk about uh, what happened to them in the end days of the war. And there uh, are some eyewitness 
accounts, um, and it, it, it's it's uh, it's quite horrific. Yeah, it was pretty hard hitting. I, I I was pretty tearful. I think after after reading it, it it, it struck me uh, pretty heavily. Frank learned that his great uncle Willie Weiss, his wife Dora, and their daughter Ursula ended their lives by taking poison in the closing days of World War II. Invading Russian troops had raped Dora and Ursula. The family committed suicide before troops could victimize them again. Frank never knew the Weisses, actually never heard of them, but he knew how agonizing their fate must have been to his grandmother, who kept the letters. Uh, what always amazed me about this whole incident, literally days before the war ended, they get hit from the other side, literally the other side from the Russians coming in and essentially taking revenge on any German, whether they supported the Nazi regime or not, and just did some devastating things to, to people. Just to indiscriminately just go in and have their way with these people is just uh, mind-boggling to me. University of Michigan history professor Ann Berg, herself a native German, makes no excuses for the invading Russians, but she says we should not lose sight over who set the tragedy in motion. While it's, I think it's important to point to you know, the various kinds of sufferings, I reject arguments that sort of try to claim that war is a horrible thing and people suffer on either side and everybody does terrible things. That may very well be true, but I think there is a qualitative difference between the kinds of crimes that the Germans committed and uh, the suffering that they endured, which was real and terrible, was not a suffering that was unprovoked. And I think that's an important distinction to keep in mind. So, Frank Pringham finally knows the story about his relatives in World War II because of a stranger, Tim Mallet. But Frank would like to actually see the letters and the desk that concealed them. He also wants to thank Tim in person, so he flies to Dallas. I meet Tim outside Frank's hotel room. Hey, Tim. Good to see you. How are you? Well, thank you. How are you? You're about to meet Frank. What do you think? Yeah, it, it doesn't, it's surreal. Um, I feel like I already know him, so uh, it's going to be interesting to meet him face to face. We've talked so much. <laughs> hey, hey, finally. Where you been all my life? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. Wow. How you doing? Oh, nice room. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice room. Yeah. Where have I been all your life? I guess where have you been the last 30 years? Where have I been is all the, your life? Or yeah, life? exactly. Yeah. Oh, great. Great to see you. This is uh, incredible. For 20 years after his grandmother Helen died, Frank kept several boxes of her stuff in his basement. He didn't pay much attention because nothing added up. Then Tim came along. Frank fetches an old scrapbook from one box and brings it to Tim. Small black and white photos are mounted on green pages. These are incredible photos. Look at how happy they were. Yeah. But most of the photos are unidentified. A better clue comes from a stack of empty envelopes. Helen's husband, Max, saved them because he collected stamps. One has a return address from Neustrelitz, showing Frank and Tim exactly where the Weiss family lived. Another empty envelope is linked to Olga, the witness who was with the Weisses when they died. Oh, I recognize some of this writing. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. So I was only going to bring Look at that a few writing. Thought, what the heck, I'll just bring them. Look at that writing. 
This entire story from his mother's side is new. It's as if Frank has achieved some balance on the family tree, given the abundance of information on his father's side. His paternal grandfather was named Fritz Pringsheim. Remember, the family changed the name. Fritz was a law professor in Germany. Due to his Jewish ancestry, he was banned from teaching and eventually thrown into a concentration camp. One of his former students fought for his release, so Fritz was allowed to resettle in Oxford, England. But being German, he and his family got into trouble for something that was really nothing. One of Fritz's sons, that would be Frank's Uncle Richard, was a huge fan of American jazz. He wanted to hear the music on his crystal radio. The signals coming over from the States was, uh, was dicey. So he decided that he would cut a hole in the roof of the, uh, of the house and put up an antenna so he could get better reception. Well, when this happened, the neighbors noticed that this German family, and I emphasize German family next door, had an antenna coming out of the roof all of a sudden. And so they decided to call the authorities. And the authorities came over. And of course, their obvious thoughts were that these were spies and sending signals back to Germany rather than receiving signals from New York City or wherever Glenn Miller and those guys were playing. So they arrested the family. And as a result, my grandfather was interned, uh, my father and I think two of his brothers were interned. Meeting Tim and talking history isn't the only reason Frank has come to Dallas. Another person is here, the celebrity who played an important role in finding the story behind the hidden letters. Please welcome Jane Seymour. Since their chance meeting on a plane, when Jane Seymour convinced him to translate the letters, they've become friends. She's giving a speech in Dallas to help benefit Tim's favorite charity, Faith Presbyterian Hospice. I have to congratulate you all. You're all here giving back. You know, we don't take anything else with us except the difference we're making. So if you're all covered in butterflies... Jane Seymour realized the significance of the letters Tim found because World War II had a dramatic impact on her family. Several Jewish relatives on her father's side of the family were killed in the Holocaust. Her mother, Mika, was a Dutch Protestant living in Indonesia during the war. The Japanese held her as a civilian prisoner for three and a half years. Crammed. 10, 12 people into a tiny room, which I've been to, which usually now houses one person. And they would literally be on top of one another. And basically in the camp, they received a ration of one tablespoon of rice and one teaspoon of sugar every day, no protein at all. And what they called a soup, which was basically clear liquid with, my mother said you were lucky in the, if in the large pot you would find one piece of green floating around. She was obsessed with this green tea, this green leaf that would float around. And if you were lucky, you got part of the green leaf. I mean, outside the door where my mother's was, there was a tree and my mother found a way to catch flying ants. And they caught the flying ants and that was their protein and snakes and lizards and bugs. And my mother found an old iron and they found, she found the electricity. So they were able to cook this protein, these flying ants. So I think, I mean, I think one of the greatest gifts I ever had was my mother kept everything because after the war, when she, everything had been taken from her, she'd kept her memorabilia and strapped it to her body and gone into the last camp. 
and she could have been killed for having this, but she kept a, a visitor's book, which we have. It's our most treasured possession in my family is this visitor's book. And my mother kept everything. So when my mother passed and we found all her hidden drawers because she would never let us in, you know, she had this one room bedroom that she wouldn't let any of us in. And after she was gone, we went in there and oh my God, you know, anyone else would say, oh my gosh, we're to fumigate this place, burn everything, get rid of it, it's a load of junk. But my sisters and I went through every single piece of paper and we found amazing material. So Jane's family history, like Frank Pringham's family history, is preserved in documents which were hidden, discovered, and cherished. We're actually at my office, so the desk now resides in my work office. Tim believes the old desk was in the apartment in Germany where the Weiss family died. Now it's in his office, beautifully restored. As it turns out, that $25 piece of beat-up furniture has quite a pedigree. It was built in France in the 1790s. Happy to be here finally, and I'm just eager for the moment to happen. Tim had made Jane promise that if he ever got to meet a member of Helen's family, Jane would be there too. Now she's here with Frank to see the desk and see the letters. Meaningful, very meaningful. Yeah, special. You're tearing up already. Yeah. The desk is taller than it is wide. Tim invites Frank to turn a key and fold down the front panel. Push, it, push in and turn the key. Okay, and just it'll come down. He'll be fine. Jane finds the secret compartment and pulls it out. The letters have been in that space for over 70 years. They were good people, Frank. I mean, we know that. Yes. Just, uh... This is incredible, and yeah. God bless both of you. Seriously. It's been a long journey, my friend. Yes. It has. It really has. What yeah. a team. Yeah. What a team. Oh, the, the three of us. The three of us. Thank the you. three musketeers. It's not over. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think at the end of the day, um, what is really cool about this desk is we did the research on the Weiss family. What happened that day in that town, everyone's in a mass grave. So the first time since 1945, three people have their names back. They have their identities. That's they right. have their heritage back. Yeah. You know, otherwise, they're, they're in a grave and they're a number, and they're no longer that right. number. Right. So that's the, the great thing. And, and they're living and they're standing right next to us. So, yeah. Yeah. so happy to see it. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much. Incredible. Millions of people were killed in World War II. What difference does it make to add to that number the horrifying end of three lives? Well, I think the answer is in what you just said. If you say millions of people died, that's a number. But then you put faces to the millions, and it changes you. We've been given the opportunity to see something very personal, and, 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 and three people's lives that ended in a tragic way. Uh, and um, it's, it's horrible, it's horrific, it, it, it's gut-wrenching, but it's important. Their, their deaths have meaning, and, and, and it may be terrible, and, and it may be a hard thing to hear, but they're sending us a message, and they're sending us a, a message in, in um, how we as human beings need to act towards each other. Tim's old college job working with seniors in Detroit led to something big. He's president and CEO of Presbyterian Communities and Services in Dallas, leading 1,000 people and providing elder care. Each client has dignity, and each probably has a great story, if you care to find out. Yeah, I, th I think if there's a message that comes out of this, this huge story, which is still developing, I think, it's that 
you know, if, if anybody's really interested in their heritage, their roots, their family background, you know, I strongly suggest that you get the information now. Yeah, you've got Google and you've got all the social media where you can, you know, pull up stuff. But there's information out there that you can only get from maybe the, the minds of people as opposed to any electronic stuff. Frank knows now more than ever that his grandmother Helen is a study in resilience. The letters don't begin to describe how many times her heart was broken. Helen and Max had protected their daughter Hilda by getting her out of Germany before their own departure in 1938. Years earlier, they lost a seven-year-old daughter to natural causes, so Hilda was their only child. In 1983, Hilda was driving Helen back to the apartment in Detroit. Another driver broadsided them. Hilda was killed. Helen was thrown from the car and injured so badly, her grandson Frank didn't recognize her in the hospital. But during most of her life after the war, she seemed to be happy. She always had a glint in her eye up to her last day, and she passed away when she was in her 90s. I mean, she was just outgoing and everything. No knowledge in my part that they had gone through what they had gone through because of her, you know, her, her demeanor and her, her positive uh, outlook on life and stuff like that. It was, she was pretty amazing. Helen Seba befriended many other German immigrants. She loved volunteering, attending concerts, vacationing in Florida, and making pint bottles of spiked eggnog for her family. She was widowed at the age of 67, but remarried at 80. That fits a woman who was always looking to the future. She survived the war. She survived this horrible car accident in which her beloved only daughter was killed. And yet, uh, continued on. We're not going to give up, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't the end of the story, I'm sure. I think there's more, more to find. What it is, I don't know, but we'll discover it. Mismatch is produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. Our website, mismatchpodcast.com, has photos of the hidden letters, their hiding place, and the people involved. Our thanks to Kenny Elsoff, Michelle Ganley, and Graham Media's Director of Digital Operations, Mike Katona. He's the guy who suggested the hidden letters as a mismatch story. The Holocaust Memorial Center in suburban Detroit helped us with research. Next time on Mismatch, a woman ditches her cell phone and social media. What's it like to go digital cold turkey? I was conscious of not wanting that in my life anymore, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And so the green juice kind of took care of that for me. Thanks for listening. Oh, and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts if that's how you're hearing us.